Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Reactive Attachments, the podcast. My name is Taylor, and if today is your first time listening to the podcast, um, I'll give you a little bit of background information on me in just a second and why this podcast exists and who I am. And if you're a regular listener and you're like, what the heck is going on? Basically, you need to take a moment to go into the episode details and check out the linked YouTube video videos that should be there no matter what uh, podcasting app you use. Um, you should have that information because this is in reference to Micah Stauffer. Some of you may know what's going on of the regular listenership. And then some of you may be like, what is this about? Um, anyway, so for those of you who stumbled upon or you were sent this podcast, um, in reference to Micah Stauffer, um, uh, I run a support group for the caregivers of, um, adopted, uh, fostered step parent adoption, kinship adoption, or caregiving scenario, whatever caregiving scenario, um, for attachment disorder children. Um, and that is, um, predominantly reactive attachment disorder in the classical sense. Um, I have been in this world for about 15 years. Um, I have a goddaughter with reactive attachment disorder and, um, you know, just the trauma that goes along with, with separation from biological parents or neglect from biological parents. And ultimately, um, I run the less optimistic side of things. Um, so basically people that have been into with their, you know, with their children for a long time, they have been through the system. They've been through social service resources, uh, residential treatment facilities. They have come to terms with the facts of attachment disorders and what they really look like and how difficult it really is. Um, it never was supposed to be as large as it is. And it's in an effort to protect the privacy of, of, um, these people that I don't ever really mention where they are, how you can find them or, uh, join that group. It's just not appropriate. And it's, it's goes against everything that I've done to make sure that it stays, um, safe. So though I don't expose it, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Um, it very much exists. And, um, you know, I very much, I exist to protect them and the parents and caregivers that are associated with that. So, um, I'm not going to, I keep, you know, it's been really convoluted as far as like me actually recording this and getting my opinion out there and dealing with a lot of the feedback from, you know, people just messaging me and whatever. Um, and my opinion has not really changed from the beginning, but definitely there have been, um, a lot of communications with people asking me to listen to this or read this first and then consider, you know, uh, you know what I want to say, blah, blah, blah. I had no experience with, um, this family. Uh, they're a YouTube family. They have almost a million. I think they're around like almost seven high 700, uh, thousand subscribers on their YouTube channel. It's like a family parenting, cleaning, you know, whatever type YouTube, uh, channel. It doesn't really it's not something that I would normally in my own, in my own endeavors watch. Um, she and her husband, Jim have four biological children plus Huxley, which is an international adoption from China. Um, and ultimately without trying to keep it too suspenseful, I'm just going to get straight to it here. Basically what's happened, the internet, I feel it's the internet that has picked up this word. I mean, I watched the video and I don't recall it saying rehoming, but the internet has picked up the word rehome like we do our pets. Okay. So they're saying that Micah, um, she has rehomed her international adoptee, um, Huxley, 
and ultimately the internet is going at ape shit. People want to know what I have to say about it. Um, and they're not going to like what I have to say about it, probably on either side, because it just is like everything else I talk about, which, you know, what do I talk about on this podcast and why? I talk about things that are specifically not um, favorable for the adoption fostering community. Like I don't necessarily believe that drugs are a reason to remove children from biological children from their parents. I don't think that placing children in foster care is always even the right idea. I think reunification should be more of a focus than parental right termination. I think that, um, you know, people that adopt for reasons like infertility, if they're adopting foster children, especially, but any child, I think that it's usually listed um, in their mind as like a worst case scenario, second option. People that adopt that have biological children, a lot of times it looks like an elitist white people move. That's the truth, especially when they're international and you know, they don't want to talk about the facts and the facts are that we don't oftentimes know how these children truly ended up in the facilities they're in. We don't, we don't speak the language. We don't know the culture. And we just assume that what we're told is truth. We hope it's truth. And we keep on pushing, you know, Oh, this baby was, you know, abandoned, dropped off here. Um, blah, blah, blah. But a lot of times these families, they are solicited monetarily. They are, um, blackmailed into giving up their children for adoption. They are, um, uh, trafficked from, you know, older humans that are capable of giving birth and they get pregnant and they have these babies and sell them through their, the, the, the traffic, sex trafficking, global sex trafficking, um, networks, you know, that's a very common thing. So when you're asking for my opinion, you have to keep in mind that I don't have an opinion that's really favorable for any of these things. So let me just start by saying that, and I'm not going to go into too deep on what my opinion is. You can listen to other episodes and find out. Um, but it's definitely not like, Oh, you know, international adoption is so amazing. And I don't want this to put a bad name name to it. Cause I don't believe that, um, at all. So there's that. Um, I also, I also don't believe that we as a society are in any way, shape, or form ready for the truth of adoption and the primal wounds that occur when you take a biological child away from the mother. I don't care what there is to say about it. I mean, the genetics, um, you know, this is a, a person that made a human in their body. Their, their blood is their, you know, the mom's blood is the baby's blood. And that is that like, there is in fact a wound when you pull that child from this person who made them inside of their body and carry them there, you know, like, I don't care what anyone says, whether it's the right choice or not for the parent, like I get it, but it doesn't mean that there isn't a wound. Okay. So, um, getting back on track. So I don't I try not to like ramble too much here. Micah Stauffer and her husband, Jim, James Stauffer, they came on, um, a YouTube video. I think it was, uh, May 26th saying basically that even though they haven't been showing um, Huxley's difficulties, they have really been struggling with Huxley. I think they got him in 2016 or they started the process in 2016. She says she was under the impression. And I, I again, I'm going to link some videos to clarify this if you need to pause and go watch those first. So she says that there was some indication that he had like a brain cyst or something, but that his cognitive was all in check. He could communicate in Chinese. He could understand Chinese. He could write a few characters in Chinese even, or at least recognize them, I think she said. But the truth was he cannot communicate. So uh, not in Chinese or any other language for that matter. 
So he, uh, she had to teach him how to sign. So you knew that there were some cognitive delays. He has uh, autism, ADHD, and some global development delays, I think. Um, and, you know, you could see that there were some struggles and you could see that, you know, he wasn't always maybe easy, I guess, from what I, the little bit of content I consumed. But she didn't really make it very clear to the public that he was um, so difficult that there were like massive amounts of professionals involved and um, evaluations and that it was even a consideration that he may need to be um, in a new placement. And so um, she had been pregnant or was, is, or I think she had just, she just had the baby or her fourth biological child. And she and her husband come on this video and they basically say that the uh, psychiatrist, psychologist, and the professional services that had been involved, you know, evaluating and assessing and determining what was right for Huxley determined that um, there are better placements for him, that he needs to be with a family that can really, um, you know, attend to his, his needs better and that he needs to be in a home with, um, you know, uh, better services available or whatever you want to call it. So, um, ultimately the internet has clapped back. Um, they're begging for privacy and understanding, but instead they were met with, um, outrage and controversy. And then even like they're, uh, they have a lot of professional, you know, um, influencer type branding sponsorship deals and they've lost what seems to be a lot of those. The New York times is involved. The, um, the Washington Post, I believe, even wrote about it, an article maybe. Um, and I have been asked my opinion and to speak. And I ha and initially when it was all out there, I, I was kind of talking about it in support format, like in different groups and then comments on, um, I don't know, YouTube maybe. But then I realized how out of control it was because I started getting tagged in things and private message from people that were outraged. At, and I had, and they hadn't even seen what I said. They wanted my opinion and they wanted me to speak on it in a, from a rad lens. And so here we go. That's what I'm going to do. I believe a hundred percent that that child does need better care than what it was receiving, what he was receiving in that home. I believe that child probably does have an attachment disorder a hundred percent reactive or otherwise. I don't know with the global delays and the the severity of his, um, you know, disabilities. I don't really know what is the, the front runner there. And I, I don't have the time or the interest to watch every video with him in it and try to, you know, give you a, a professional, a non-professional, non-medical opinion, just based on my experience. Like I just, you know, it's not going to be met with much, um, it won't be received well regardless. So with that being said, I think that this is back to a very large, um, issue that we have in this society about adoption in general. I think adoption is traumatic. I think it's traumatic for a lot of people. The person that had the child that's giving it up, I think it's traumatic for the children. Most importantly, the family that receives the child, whether their intentions are good or otherwise, I think it's traumatic for the kids involved, the siblings and you know, the marriage and everybody else. I think that pretending that a baby is a dog. Um, I think it's actually a good correlation. Like it's a good representation of what the fuck the society that we live in now thinks adoption is like most people people are waking up of course and they're really starting to kind of figure certain things out but I do think that in general people are like oh I can't conceive a baby well let's adopt one. Oh, um this is my step you know this is my soon-to-be stepdaughter who and you know <laughs> 
I have a lot of experience in these certain in specific scenarios that I'm going to mention here myself, regardless. So like, oh, this is my, you know, this is my goddaughter, my stepdaughter, my niece or whatever. I'm going to step in for emergency caregiving. And then the system that is so broken is going to make it um, easier to terminate rights and to place in a permanent uh, and to move for permanent placement and um, termination of rights. So they're going to move for, you know, adoption. Uh, pretty quickly and I think that people people are like okay fine that's fine like whatever you know I think we think adoption is like a wonderful thing that should be celebrated and in some cases yeah sure it should be however it is not a celebratory event for most of the people being adopted especially as they um, are trying to integrate into that family and they realize like you know, if they're a five, six, seven, eight year old, whatever, they're starting to realize what this means and their expectations on these children that are absolutely unfair. I think that when we do international adoptions, we do it like we try to pretend that we're doing it to save the planet. But the truth is most people don't want to check in with their intentions and their intentions are not usually to provide care um, and, and reunification with families if those families are available and like you know really like integrate them into a life that is stable for them and that is maybe safer for them but that is culturally um also in check we definitely don't do that and I think that when we really look at it under the the intentions that it's typically done in we go to other countries to buy children Okay, that's what we're doing. We go to other countries to buy children that are much younger than the children available for us to buy here. And we can paint it any way we want to paint it. We could say that isn't the case. We can say it isn't this, it isn't that. But the truest intentions are most likely going to fall in that category. And I think that we really want to believe that um, all the children that are available for, for adoption in other countries were just dropped off for like financial reasons or whatever. But a lot of times it is that they're extremely handicapped. That's half the reason they're there, if not more than half the reason that they are there. And if you're not traveling yourself over there consistently from the moment that the chosen child has been picked and you go to meet them, pictures and videos can be manipulated very easily to lean in a certain understanding. So you know, dis- disabilities and delays can be downplayed um, while the facility itself is being, um, you know, um, uh, represented in a way that isn't truthful. Like you think it's a great, wonderful facility and they love the kids. Well, maybe it isn't really that. But on video, if you get the highlights of the best parts of every scenario, you can make it look any way you want to. So if you only go there a year and a half in after sending money and doing all the paperwork and whatever else to meet this child, and <laughs> that's your first time really meeting the child, which I, I commend uh, Micah Stelfer for um, one of the videos she did, like, you know, five, what was it, like five things I had to come to terms with or five things I didn't expect adopting my Chinese baby or something along those lines. Um, she says like she had started to assign a personality to this child that wasn't in fact who the child was. She says that she was told, you know, attachment may be difficult. There may be some bonding, you know, um, inequities there may take you a little bit longer than you expect. And she also didn't think that was going to be the case. She thought that she knew better. She thought that she, you know, had this wonderful bond with her biological children and that she could duplicate that. And I think it's ignorant to think that. I think it's fucking stupid, actually. I think it's really stupid, especially, and I'm not saying she's stupid, or maybe I'm saying she's stupid. I don't know. 
I think it's stupid to think for one minute that you can go into the life of a child who is meant to be in the most um, attached and um, protected developmental stages of his entire life and you can show up and you look like no one he's ever seen. You sound like no one he's ever heard. You speak a language he doesn't understand. He also is disabled in many ways, cognitively and otherwise. Um, and you think that you can pick this child up and just instantly be magic mommy. And if you really believe that truly in your heart of hearts and you're in the depth of depths of your soul, the warnings, which you're lucky you even got, cause those are usually limited, um, are you, you swept them aside because you thought you were the expert at parenting, the expert at raising children that aren't biologically yours, which you a have never done and B don't do currently and C like, not only are you doing you're, you're raising it, you're, you're picking up a child that you have yourself did not give birth to, which you've never done before. As I just said, you are expecting that you have all the answers for the child and how the child is going to behave and feel and all this stuff. I mean, it's absolutely bananas to me. And then on top of that, you have other humans in the house, the dad or, you know, the husband, as well as the siblings who you're expecting. He'll just, maybe it'll take some time, but like that he's going to instantly wet bond to like, I don't know where in the hell a person would get the idea that this is how it works. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. So with all that being said, yeah, I think it was way more difficult than she thought it was going to be. And I don't think that she's equipped for that, for that kind of, um, a, uh, child, you know, caregiving situation. Like we are kidding ourselves if we believe Okay, as individuals or as um, people that are in the world of parenting, we are kidding ourselves every single time, every scenario. If you believe that any of this attachment, adoption, parenting, acquiring of children, if you believe that any of it is ever going to be cut and dry, it's not. Okay, most of the time, what we have convinced ourselves of is all bullshit. Just keep that in mind. I think that um, maybe as she's growing in her in her parenthood as a mom, as like a, probably doing pretty well financially as an influencer on YouTube, I think that she realized that this is a really committed position you have to be in and it takes a lot of work and it's a thankless job. And ultimately, I think she probably didn't want to do it anymore, whether she says she's bonded and loves him and attached and whatever else. That's how you know it's not the same as your biological children. Because if somebody was assessing all the needs of your biological child and said they'd be better off in a different house, you'd lose your whole mind. You'd lose your whole mind. But I believe he probably was better off in a different house. I believe most children that are in this situation and reunification with their biological parents is not possible. That they do need to attach. Yes, I believe that. But I think that the expectation of what their attachment um, capacity is, is way out of whack. And I think that the biggest issue in these situations are the, the places that are the placements that are, are considered, you know, top of the line should always be, and they are not, but they should always be people that have experience, maybe even training required, some kind of required, um, education, training background and understanding medically and otherwise in these specific types of, of, of traumas because they are traumas and they need to have, they don't need to be the kind of people that are out there with empty wombs, expecting to fill them with adopted children. They don't need to be the kind of people that are out there with elitist motivations of saving babies from other countries. They need to be the kind of people that are fully aware of the possibilities and what kind of child they're going to get is never, 
you never know, you know, you never know what, what a child is going to develop into. But if you place them in a home that is trying to integrate in an unrealistic way on top of the disa- the disabled, um, the disabled variables here, like we have disabilities that are really contributing factors, you know, I don't think that is ever the, the right scenario. And that's oftentimes where these children end up, whether they're sought after from international situations or they're placed through foster to adopt or whatever. And I'm going to keep this episode short because, um, based on the analytics, like people don't like my long hour, one hour rants, but I'm going to say this, like, I don't, I think it's nice to compare it to animals because that is like what the fuck we're doing now. And it's wrong. It's dead wrong. It is, um, rehoming. Oh, I got to move into an apartment and they don't take pit mixes. So I need to rehome this dog that I adopted. Mm, That is kind of like what's going on in the system. It's like, Hey, um, biological parents aren't really working out right now. We need to rehome this kid. We need to throw him in foster. Oh, perfect. I'll take him. I've been looking to make a baby and I can't, so I'll just do this. No, no. I recently stumbled across and I'm going to link. Um, I don't actually, I need to talk to her. We were planning to talk first, but I recently stumbled across an, uh, a YouTube page And the main person, the parent, the mom who fosters talked about, um, their intentions as a foster home and adopting and all of this and what her position was and if they were going to adopt their current foster child. And she said that, no, like she, she didn't get into fostering with the idea or the plan to adopt through foster care. If she, she's licensed to do so, if they ever decide that that's the right choice, if reunification isn't possible. And I'm not going to talk too much about it because I hope to have her on the podcast and have a real conversation where she can explain for herself. But the very first comment I read on that video said that it was from a young lady who said that for 15 years, 15 years, her mother fostered a young girl and it took the parents, I think it was a drug situation maybe, um, it took them 15 years to get their shit together, 15 years and they still reunified. And the foster child who's now an adult is so grateful that they were never um, removed, the you know, parental rights were never removed and they were so happy to have both families and she visits every other week and she calls every other day and like she's super close to them but she's super close to her parents too and that is like outside of international adoption because I don't have a real well-formed example of what I think that should look like but I have a lot of examples of what it should not look like and I can tell you that going over to another country one time which is just for pickup or aka delivery of your child um, I can tell you that if your intentions aren't um, in check. And then if you're not being realistic with yourself, like, I don't really know. I don't know. I know that these adoptions do need to happen. I know these children do need homes, but I think there's a whole market and a whole industry of financial, um, uh, financial motivation. There's an elitist factor here. There's a lot of things that are, um, you know, I, I don't in closing, let me say, I need to think about it and do more work to understand really what my opinion is. I know a few people in my real life. I even have some family members that have done it. Um, I know a gentleman that has two adopted Chinese children and he, he is an alcoholic. He, uh, both of the children have very clear and have been diagnosed with RAD. Um, there has not been any level of attachment or bonding after eight to 10 years. They have spent um, over a hundred thousand dollars total between um, 
private, you know, residential treatments and different um, methods of trying to correct behaviors and assess behaviors and figure out what to do. And that's what they did. I mean, you know, they went to China and they picked up a child and they um, went back thinking that if they had a second Chinese child in the house, that the one child would bond with the other Chinese child. I mean, it's, it's, it's a mess. And I don't know what the right answers are because it's never been my focus. I'm mostly focused on domestic, um, uh, attachment disorder scenarios from biological all the way to, um, you know, foster to adopt and on and on. But I think that what, you know, coming for her, um, is futile. I think that she definitely knows and she definitely is trying to figure out how to communicate that it was a mistake. And she, she won't say that. I don't expect that she'll ever say that. But, I mean, it was, without a doubt, a mistake. And I think people are way too hard on her. They're way too ignorant of exactly um, what it looks like to care for a child in this way. I think they're way too unrealistic. Most of her followers probably came from the baseline of people who are looking to adopt for reasons that are not what I believe to be clearly pure and, and well-informed decisions on adoption. So I think people get really hopeful and it's like, it is the second best thing. And a lot of people are going that route for religious reasons or for empty womb reasons. And none of those reasons are ever going to pan out for everyone correctly. And then with disabilities on top of it, it is a giant undertaking. And I do think she made the right decision. I think they did. They did ultimately choose the right, uh, you know, the right route for him. And I don't know. I don't know that she could have, like people are saying she should have just stuck it out. I mean, I don't know that sticking it out would have been any benefit to Huxley if he's in a place that isn't serving him in a healthy way. And I don't feel that he was being served in a healthy way. I'm not saying she's a bad parent. I just believe that a certain level of training and education should be required in all these types of scenarios by people that have the time, the capacity, the heart, and the dedication, and that that's what their motivation in life is, is to provide care for children that need care on a different level, not just a loving home with parents and siblings. That's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. You know, fostering animals, for example, you are fostering them, you are providing them with a home that is um, temporarily maybe saving their life or whatever until you can find their forever home. And part of that is like you have to, a lot of times there's a marketing aspect to it. And so many foster parents in the animal world end up keeping the fostered animals because they're the only ones in the scenario that actually have the skill set to deal with the animal. So, you know, now the animal has had, uh, it's like some kind of a medical issue or the money was raised to have a surgery and the recovery from that surgery is really long and, and, um, you know, it requires a lot from the, you know, the caregiver or there's amputations, multiple amputations involved, or there was like a, a, you know, a dog bit, bit something or someone because it wasn't in the right environment. And now the only person really that has the capacity and the mental, you know, the, the strength, the strength mentally, but also the education and the wherewithal to appropriately handle, handle the animal in these types of scenarios is most of the time that foster parent that's been doing it for 30 years or like 10 years. And they're very well, 
um, educated on like the needs of, of animals in this scenario. Hence why they stepped in, you know, they wanted to do the right thing and they had the right intentions. I think that in fostering and adopting so often people's intentions are, um, they are absolutely unrealistic. Their expectations are unrealistic. Their intentions are motivated by, uh, you know, unfair, um, foundations and then services that are provided, um, or services that are, you know, middlemanning these transactions, if you will, they have a whole list of problematic tactics as well. Like they want to place these children in, in families that are not equipped to deal with the lifelong, um, outcomes, you know, like the life, the lifelong, what is the word I'm looking for here? The outcomes are often seen like this, this situation with, with Micah. These outcomes are often seen when all of those previous mentioned elements are not in check. When intentions, motivations, and agendas, and expectations are not clear, when training and education is not provided, when a commitment level of the parent that's adopting, um, it's, you know, we're, you can't choose a child with pictures and fucking videos, guys. Like you can't, you need to get on a plane and you need to start going to China every month or whatever. If you can't afford that, or if that's unrealistic for you, guess what? You don't need to adopt. Sorry, not sorry. Like I heard on another documentary I started watching last week because I've been in the shits with this for weeks now, but like I heard on or watched on another documentary where the mom, the adoptive mom, and this is, you know, a 30 year old person that, that we're talking about. So it was many years ago, but she, she was happy that they flew the baby here. So she didn't have to go to China. Like what? You have to go to China. <laughs> like you need to know these children's culture. Like you need to be one of those people that are obsessed with where your child is coming from. And if you're, you don't have that, if that isn't a part of the, the process for you, and you don't want to know the culture in which that they come from, that they genetically, you know, their genetics were formulated and come from this other country with this other culture. They've been, however old they are, they've, that's all they know. You need to also be able to incorporate that into their teenage years, their childhood years. Like they need to be able to communicate with you about things that are culturally relevant to them. If you don't go to China, you're not going to be able to do that effectively. Okay, you're not and you're going to end up whether your child has disabilities to the extent that Huxley does or not, whatever. um, It doesn't even matter whether you end up with a child that has those types of disabilities or not. You need to understand that culture on a real human human nature level as much as you can without being from it. And I don't think that a person that already had three children could ever have given enough time to understanding that culture and to really understanding what she was getting her, her, herself into. Nor do I think the very limited amount of warnings and conversation that she received, she was open to hearing. And that to me is questionable as well. I don't know why. Why did you think that you, because you were so well bonded to your biological children, that you just pick up a one and a half year old and boom, like it would be love at first sight and it would be super easy. And I heard stories as well about like people getting these Chinese babies and they, are holding them and rocking them and the child just freezes and stares at them, doesn't cry, it doesn't 
hug back. It just looks at their face. And it's because you look like a fucking alien to a baby that comes from a culture in a country where people don't look like us there. They don't look like a regular old, you know, uh, white person from middle America, USA. They don't, they don't look like them. They don't smell like them. They don't sound like them. And this is a person that has been, it's a, it is a baby, but it is a person. It's a person that comes from something totally different. So yeah, I definitely think that Huxley should have been placed elsewhere. I think she should have never adopted him to be honest with you. I think that, um, there is an attachment disorder on top of some other very specific and very severe from what I understand, um, you know, uh, uh, developmental issues there. And I think that a person who is medically trained and who has the, the skill set as well as maybe the resources to bring, when you have this much of a hard time communicating with a child that also has, is going to have a hard time learning how to communicate on your level, there needs to be a medical professional that says, okay, I see that this is an issue. Boom. Let's bring in some resources that, that start by speaking Chinese or that start by like, let's get back to the basics of what this child does know for the year and a half that it's spent over there. Because we can't, you're, you're expecting a child to cross over and learn things when it, the child struggles with learning and receiving information while you're forcing it. And the only thing that you know how to do is communicate in your language, in your cultural, um, you know, mannerisms and whatever. I think that like, absolutely there should have been intervention long before. I think that there should have been intervention and there should be intervention before we even are allowed to go to China and get children. That's what I have to say. I've, I've really been cut off on this many times. I've been yelled at. Um, I've been screamed at via key, you know, type and verbally through audio. And everybody has like something that they want me to say, like she should have stuck it out and she, she, she just wanted attention and she just did this to get her channel going. And I don't think any of that's true. I don't know that it wasn't like an obvious door to like, you know, in your life, if you have something that you can monetize, like, go ahead, do you, do I think that (laughs) like she thought she could monetize it for a while and then rehome her child and keep it, keep it pumping. No, I think she knew. Like, this is too much for me. I'm going to keep having babies. They're talking about having at least five, like, biologically. Maybe they're saying they want to have another one. Um, they said six in the video, but obviously that would now be five because they don't have Huxley. But I think that, like, she really enjoys her life as a mom with her biological children, point blank, period. I don't think that she ever considered that this child wouldn't really be like a biological child. It would be a totally different effort and a totally different relationship. I don't think that she ever considered the amount of work it would take with the disabilities that he had. And I also don't think that she really believed in her heart that she could just drop him off in a, in a placement somewhere and then tell her YouTube subscribers that, and it was going to go smooth. I think she knew it was going to be a shit show. And such, you know, such as it is. And this happens every day, all day long. The vast majority of people just don't know about the shit that's going on in this world because they're not involved in it. They're just giving their opinion from the outside. Oh, you know, adoption, like we, like the gotcha day, like, you know, we think like of adoption as this thing that children should be so grateful for instead of expecting children to be devastated that their parent A, didn't want them or B, couldn't, couldn't get their shit together enough to keep them. Um, that like a lot of times children are not integrate, they can't integrate into a families that they're adopted into and moms and dads want to pretend that they're biologically part of that family. They want the siblings to recognize that they want the child to recognize that they don't ever really want to discuss the child's biological parent, whether they know or not. And then when they do find out, 
you know, the parent, the, the adoptive parent gets their feelings hurt. And like, we don't have a firm grasp on adoption in general as a country, as a society, as a people. Okay. Our expectations of parents and who should, who, when we should call DCF and when, when we should have people get involved and those kids need to be ripped out of that home and those kids, somebody should have called DCF and why didn't, you know, those kids should have been taken a long time ago. I hope those parents go to jail for the rest of their life and like, oh, it's such a sad situation, blah, blah, blah. We have no real concept of the truth between attachment, bonding, parenting, child rearing, um, separation trauma, adoption trauma. We as a society are fucking lost. Okay. So when we assert our opinions on things that we, a don't have any understanding of, okay, none and B aren't experienced in our own life. Like, you know, people that are giving their opinion out about this situation that do not have a fostered adopted child that have never internationally adopted who like, (laughs) please take several seats. Because I guarantee you what your expectations are and versus the reality are dead wrong. And they're not doing any, you're not doing any service to the system of adoption, to the parents and families that will adopt. You're not doing any service to the generations of children on the internet that are reading about this that were adopted. Like you don't know what you're talking about is what you don't know. And I don't care about Micah uh, Stauffer and her situation because I deal with every day hundreds of human beings that are in this situation with children that are so traumatized that they have, like the children, it is not their fault, but they have destroyed entire systems of families, marriages, people are in jail because of false accusations, children that are truly sociopathic or, you know, psychopathic, they have no remorse, They, they do things like that you would not believe. I deal with parents that are dealing with this all over the globe every day. The trauma and the facts about adoption are so incredibly miscommunicated, misunderstood, intentionally lied about. There's no transparency about this, this situation. And the fact that he has been rehomed is a not shocking to me. And I'm only using the word rehomed because that's what has really gotten so much, you know, attention. But the fact that he has been quote unquote rehomed, it isn't shocking to me. I see it all the time. It's the right choice most of the time because these children are placed in families. They should have never been placed in to begin with period, point blank period. Okay. So you want to argue with me about, okay, well you want to say, I've been told this recently. Well, it doesn't matter if it was the right placement or not. They should have never ripped that child out of that house or that, you know, I hear um, that Micah and her, this specific situation that Micah should have, she should have just sucked it up. She signed up to be his mom and no matter what, she should have sucked it up. Okay. Cool opinion, bro. Cool opinion. But if the child isn't thriving and there are people and there are services involved where they want to make a a different decision, it sounds to me like those people are probably people with a little bit more education than her. She's probably very lucky that she has people because the vast majority of services would have said exactly that. Keep her with the child. Do not, you know, you need to, it doesn't matter. You need to keep those two together, keep that family together. She just needs to get more services. Here's more resources. Here's more professionals. We're going to send people to the house. You need to go to this doctor's appointment. He needs to be on this medication. They'll do everything they can to make that adoption stick. When the truth is that child probably should be put in a home because people don't like to know this, but attachment, when there's an attachment trauma, oftentimes, especially that young, when a child has been is clearly experiencing the, the effects of an attachment trauma. They're not attaching to anyone else. 
Like, do I believe that Huxley was attached? Not really. I think he was probably familiar. He was probably familiar with that family and because he was there for a while. But I don't think that there's an investment in an attachment when it doesn't occur on the in the systematic way that it's supposed to from in utero through, you know, from conception in utero um, and development to birthing and the first year and a half of life there. Like it is literally said all the time you have three weeks the first three weeks and some people believe those first three weeks like that that's just like an arbitrary amount of time a lot of people believe that attachment it it happens organically in utero and that it is um it begins in utero and it is solidified in birth and that if an attachment a trauma occurs in removal or whatever that once you have disrupted the attachment or once that that person has started to show signs of being um, a child of attachment trauma, right? So you have like a primal wound, you have whatever, like having that person attach for the rest of its life is going to be a struggle for that person forever. Like in romantic relationships and otherwise, there are very few things that can correct attachment traumas. Okay. That's the truth. Like that is the truth. I have I have every day of my life, I deal with reactive attachment disorder and attachment disorder that occurs from under the age of one and two, like babies, to um, people, adults that were diagnosed with it as children that are trying to seek assistance, you know, from communities and support as adults now. And they tell me the things that they feel and have experienced. Like, I may not have read all the books and I may not have a degree, you know, like a a degree in psychiatry or psychology and I may not have, you know, years of medical um, experience under my belt. What I do have, though, is many, many years, a decade and a half of experience with this disorder and and attachment in general. And I can tell you right now, attachment can't be manifested through desire just because you want it to believe it. And just because you want to, you know, plug pieces of a puzzle in like, oh, this looks like attachment. You know, this looks like traditional attachment behavior from an attached child. This looks like traditional, um, you know, bonding from from my my own personal perspective. I think this is bonding. I think they're bonded. I think he loves. I think he feels. I think he da 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 da. Does not make it real. As the child ages, you will see how unrealistic your desire to make something into what it is not is in fact a detriment to you, your family, your friends, you know, especially to yourself, mostly to yourself. If you are the parent and you are the one that is standing there trying to profess and and believe and proclaim attachment has occurred when you know it isn't occurring and you're really reaching at straws, you're going to be the one hurt the most and that child is most likely going to effectively destroy you. That's what I see every day. The nurturing enemy is oftentimes the one destroyed. So if you don't, if your opinion if this is a hill you're trying to die on and you aren't involved in this, you don't adopt, you haven't been adopted, you're not adopting, you're not in the cycle of this scenario, I don't care about your opinion. I don't care if you listen to this podcast. I don't care if you want to argue. Like you're just advocating for something that literally it's absolutely the most ignorant thing you could waste your time on. Like, please go be bothered with something more important because until you live in this life, your opinion is irrelevant. If you are on the side of like, she should have stuck it out and she should have done this. And, you know, she just wanted attention. Like, I don't have much for you other than to say that you don't know what you're talking about. A, most importantly, because everybody's life isn't um, your business, first of all. You don't know the ins and the outs of anybody else's life. Okay, that's just my personal outside of this topic opinion. But within this opinion, 
within this scenario, my opinion is this, like a, why she wasn't prepared and couldn't do the job is irrelevant because now we have to look at, could she, was she prepared? Could she do the job? My assessment is no. Is it the best for him to be placed elsewhere? A hundred percent. Because it sounds like, and I can only hope that the placement he has, they say he's doing well there and whatever, but the placement that he has is far more capable. They have the capacity and the tools and the the experience and the knowledge to take care of a child who will become an adult, who will eventually be an adult person in society here in America, that that we want this, this child to have all of the possible um, resources and benefits and, and all the variables to line up in his favor. Do I think that, that Micah Stauffer had that for him, that he would have the best possible result? I don't period. I think you can call it rehoming. You can be absolutely outraged over it if you want, but in the reality of this world that we all live in, right? Like parenting, adoption, fostering, homing, residential treatments, doctors, resources, the state services, blah, blah, blah. I think sometimes, most of the time, when a child is actually removed and placed elsewhere, it isn't so easy to have that done. It's actually very difficult. A lot of states, if you've adopted a child and then you try to like basically, uh, what are they calling it? Rehome, rehome that child. You'll lose custody and parental rights. You can even go to jail, but your biological children, they, they will be placed in foster care while they assess you because it's considered abandonment. It's considered, um, a, a very serious crime in a lot of places. A lot of people I know personally have dealt with this. They ha- their biological children have been removed from their home. So it's not, it's not an easy thing to do. I don't really care how she feels. I'm not, I'm not invested in her story. I'm not invested in her family. She's like I said, not somebody I watched her for the sake of this, but like, you know, I even reached out to her just to see if she wanted to speak on the matter before I made a podcast about it. Since it's not going to be a written out opinion by the masses, it'll be like my verbal, you know, diarrhea. So, uh, she obviously didn't read it or respond. Not that I thought she would, but you know, I did try to at least reach out to her and tell her that I, you know, I'm not, I'm not against her and that I have protected her. You know, I have, I have defended her, not protected her, but defended her. Um, and that's the truth truth. And so long story short, I'm here to tell you that most of the people that are outraged over this, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And people that say, I love my, my, um, biological child just as much as my adopted child. Like, I hope that you feel that way truthfully in your heart of hearts, but you don't know that until you're faced with a situation to where you have to choose between your biological children and your foster children. And in that, those, in, in those rare moments, we really see the truth. We see the truth of like that biological attachment and it is a different attachment, period, point blank, end of story. So if you only have biological children and you don't have any foster or adoptive children or whatever, like, again, your opinion to me, it's so irrelevant because everybody wants to believe what society and the system has taught us, which is all you got to do is fill out a piece of paper, boom, move the kid in and it's yours and it's wonderful and lovely. And it might as well have come from your womb. Not fucking true. It's not true. It's not that easy on either side. So I'm going to go ahead and end this way longer than I wanted it to be. There is going to be a part two following up to this, uh, hopefully, because I have something else very important in this category that I experienced myself with facts, like, like in written factual proof 
about foster to adopt that I'm going to be posting, um, episode two about just for evidentiary, evidentiary purposes or whatever. Um, you can find me anywhere at reactive attachments on that's on Instagram, Facebook. You can email me at reactive attachments at gmail.com. I also have a phone number on our Facebook, um, reactive attachments. You can find us there. You can text me at that phone number. I don't have it in front of me and I'm trying to wrap this up. So I'm not going to, um, like repeat it, but I will put it in the episode description. And if you have questions, you can text that number. You can email me, you can reach out on social media, send a voice message on anchor podcast, whatever you need to do. All right, you guys, I'll talk to you soon. Uh, hopefully this wasn't too, too crazy. Love y'all. And you know, we're all just doing our best, right? So, uh, I'll see you on part two.